it's so much more fun when you come out of it and you and it's self-created you know it's like organic it's nothing better than feeling like you made it through it on your own you know you survive your own decisions Hey y'all and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host who happens to be my wife as well. Hey guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. All right, guys, today's story is super fun. We are joined today by Jim Eaton, the lead singer from Outlaw Jim and the Whiskey Benders. They are described as a hard-hitting outlaw country band with roots in the sounds of Waylon Jennings and Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard, uh, the original <laughs> country singers, right? That's right. Okay. Brooke has known Jim virtually her entire life, so we're excited to hear that connection. Um, and we're we're pumped to have his deep outlaw voice with us today. So, Jim, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having us. This is cool. I like Glad to setup. have you here. So, yeah. Jim, you and I have known each other since, well, virtually the womb. Our moms were good friends. <laughs> still are. Some of this we can't really remember, <laughs> yep. but they say yep. there's, there's documentation. I, I still refer to you as Jimmy. I, I know that's not what you go by, but yeah. well, you're Jimmy no. to me. There definitely are lots of people that still call me Jimmy. <laughs> Can you give our <laughs> listeners just a quick intro about yourself? Who are you? Where'd you grow up? And what does life look like for you today? Um, absolutely. Where did we grow up? I don't know that we ever did, but um, I was supposed to grow up in Platte County, and... Uh, was raised by, uh, I guess, two hardworking parents that, that raised four boys, and uh, I grew up, moved to Weatherby Lake in 1984, I think 84 in the summer, and uh, just uh, kind of started there. Um, the music thing picked up at a young age. My mother played the piano, and and uh, my dad kind of played the ukulele and some more kind of uh, uh, country-type things, but uh, yeah, I guess it started there. Um, you want I can remember. Or? No, I can. I can remember coming to your house and that big grand piano that your brother would sit down and sure. play effortlessly. So I knew. I knew music yeah. was a huge part of your lives growing up. Um, tell us just kind of how you got into music. You watched your mom. She obviously had you in lessons. How'd yeah. you pick up your first guitar? How'd, how'd that all get started? Well. Um, Definitely the piano, because she always played, so we always had, had instruments. We had guitars in the house and, and banjos and ukuleles. And my, uh, my old man, he was not a fan of the television. And so if I naturally, still to this day, if I feel like I've spent too much time watching TV, it's like I naturally kind of just feel guilty about it, you know, because he would be furious. Dad would be mad. He'd be mad. <laughs> I mean, if, I get, if, if he'd come home from work, you know, and just as kids, He'd want us. To, he'd be fine if we were playing music or if we were building the skit, doing something constructive. That was one thing great about growing up on that lake was just learning so much about the world and just, I mean, just you know, physics and all the different mm-hmm. things. You, you learn so much about things that a lot of people don't even realize that they they've missed out on. Um, and music was one of them. He definitely wanted us to play music, and, and he was fine if we were just sitting around jamming, you know. And so we naturally just did that a lot. <laughs> I'm with Ray. Turn the TV off. Yeah, I am. I am too. And the gaming devices and all the stuff for yeah. these kids. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely don't think it's constructive. I think it's constructive to go out and be creative and go outside with, you know, we have so much to talk about in this interview because, you know, when raising kids nowadays, they're so much different than we were. And, you know, it all started for us just being creative and building things, doing constructive projects like that, talking to our friends and, and coming up with skits and riding bikes and dirt bikes and, and boating and sailing and, you know, ice skating or whatever, you know, fishing. Uh, but music was, was a big part of it. And I think naturally it just kind of soothed my soul. Mm. Uh, even when I was, before I even knew how to play music, listening to music, some for some reason was something that just drove right directly into my core. So Man. it all started there. And that's before I ever had any training. And really, I don't have nearly as much as the rest of the guys in my band or the people that I surround myself with are usually a whole lot more talented than I am. But naturally, I kind of have some some interesting creativity because of my Just own being style. surrounded with it. Yeah. Are you yeah. self-taught? Um, not entirely, but I don't have like a degree or anything that my brother frank he he does you know so he's kind of like our music instructor (laughs) (laughs) not so much anymore i I really do understand music in general pretty well uh but when we first started out he would you know he said no that's the six minor no we're going to the two and naturally the progression you know there's so much to uh, to learn when it comes to music and you're learning every time you're playing but really cool i'm interested because this is I, i think maybe our first interview that the roles have been reversed a little bit where the relationship with, with the exception of, of some of our good friends um but i don't know you as well nearly as as brooke does and so i don't even know like you're one of four but what number in line were you or are you and okay. and what was kind of that um you know that that growing up journey like in terms of um sibling pete like man i wish our five kids would freaking play music outside <laughs> or i mean play music and play outside right yeah. and not play on their damn ipad they so probably like, will yeah <laughs> i hope so but I, I'm, I'm finding the same problems with, with our kids. Uh, it's not a problem, but to me, you know, it's like a hang-up because I wish my boys were so passionate about music, and they are. My, my boy Frankie, he sings. He's pitch perfect. At least, of course, this is the, parent, the dad saying that. But <laughs> honestly, I see a lot of similarities where I was just a lot like him, where he, he loves music and, and he loves singing and this and that. Of course, his genre of music uh, nowadays. It's different. <laughs> You know, although he's found some folk country stuff that we we have common ground on, but he's not. Oh, he's only eight, you know. And I guess I didn't really start playing until I was like thirteen, even though I was around it and I played the piano. But I just knew, just a little bit. But my patience was, you know, so small, so short that that I couldn't ever sit down and just focus until I was probably thirteen. So I think I'm hoping that I have some time, and maybe your yeah. kids will also because I really didn't get interested mm. until later in life. Mm. And I wished that I was like my brother Frank, who was like a sponge. He can read something and comprehend. For one thing, I'm already thinking about tire pressure. I haven't eaten lunch. I haven't, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be reading and comprehending here. He was natural. He could read through a, you know, a document and know exactly what it what it said and what it meant. And, and then apply it to his life. And, and keep mm. it forever, you know. And so music was that way. Still is to this day. He's, yeah. he's like that. But mm. Yeah. So life for you today is different than growing up in your house. How many kids do you have? What's that look like? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is quite a bit different. (laughs) It really is. Um, Well, I have basically five children, two girls, three boys. It's a small club, bro. Riley's 16. Yeah, I know. You see, you guys got five. We got five. We should have done this a long time ago. That's right. That's right. And uh, compared notes. But and share a glass of whiskey together. Yeah, if, if possible. <laughs> Just after lunch here. But 
Um, so the question was about the, the kids. I guess I have a 16-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, and then Frank James is eight, Porter is two, almost he'll be three at the end of December, and then we have uh, Nash Rambler, who is like 47 days old. Nash Rambler. I mean, what a perfect, like, really. <laughs> well, of course name. his name's Nash Rambler. That's perfect. <laughs> There's got to be a story to that. Well, I, I just call him Nash It's kind of like a nickname already. His, uh, his, I guess surname is, is Nash Boyer Talbot Eaton, and there's a whole other story for all that someday. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I had, I had two older brothers, and then I had Frank, my little brother, uh, who's three years below me. And, my, and it's kind of like Brooke. She had older siblings that were uh, step or half. half siblings. Sorry, yep. half. I, that's yep. what I meant. Half siblings that were quite a bit older. See, we didn't. We were all kind of close, but it never was like the ones that you live with and you grew yeah. up with, like yeah. like your like little Kyle brother was, yeah. and like my little brother. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, man. So yeah. good, but it's so different. So for the first instrument you picked up was at thirteen. What was it? Yeah, I mean, I, I other played, than piano, I, you know, we we played the piano. I played the, the the banjo and the ukulele just a little bit, enough to be dangerous. Uh, I didn't really take lessons until I was thirteen, twelve or thirteen. Wow. And I, I think that uh, if you ask those instructors today, they'd probably tell you uh, I was gonna. You didn't have a chance. Wind up not playing the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first stage experience? Um, I would say they uh, they used to take me to the open jams around. There's always open jams around. Like as a teenager. Yeah, okay. and I think you guys even kind of came to some of that stuff mm-hmm. back before I could mm-hmm. actually have an official gig. Before I had enough material <laughs> to, to entertain someone, I could play a couple songs, and we'd all go, you know, go to whatever little club or, or gathering it was, and play these open jams around Kansas City. And there's lots of them. Matter of fact, we have one at the Frank James Saloon every Thursday night. Huh. And you guys came to our yeah. Uh, Telecaster Tuesday, I think. Yes, because it was like a Tuesday night. Yep. And we used to do those for for yep. years. Every Tuesday or every other Tuesday, we did a jam. <clears throat> uh, but it all, it's, it's kind of where it all starts. That's where that's where the interest grew, getting to know other musicians, and and kind of like a melting pot of, of what can we do for each other and how can we make things work. Did you know you loved it the minute you did it? I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you remember. I was always playing yeah. from that point in time on. Mm-hmm. When we were kids, I didn't yeah. really ever play. I was just too busy running around in circles, I think, <laughs> burning off steam. Sailing and yeah. fishing, apparently. You know, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Who knows what they're doing in high school? Nobody. Right. Well, at least I didn't. I mean, heck, I, I would skip class at Park Hill High School just to go to Oak Park, and I'd get there on time so they wouldn't call me tardy and looks at conspicuous and I'd show up and go all the way through school at Oak Park because they take attendance for who's absent but not who's a surplus you know so, so, wait yeah. hold, hold on so you would like sit in class the whole day like just tag along well I felt like it I mean yeah, I went with like Zach, I don't think I've ever heard that my cousin Zach Hinkle you know I would go sit in some of his classes and then he'd be like ah this next class kind of sucks why don't you go with Jake Hendershot he's got like orchestra and I'd sit in there and you know I don't know. We, you know, I, we went to school. I went to Oak Park a couple times. That's awesome. You know, you'd think I'd go find something better to do with my time if I was going to spend. Skip. Skip right. I'm like, oh, hell, this is actually pretty fun. <laughs> Get to know some new people. Yeah, you know, do new the faces, thing. new people. That's great. Oh man, this school is cool. That's great. So, so what? Again, I, I literally don't know. <laughs> what was post 
Park Hill life like for you? Like what happened after that? Well, there was uh, a whole lot of heavy drinking. Mm. And, uh, you know, I spent probably most of my mid-20s fairly lost. Uh, you know, I think everybody kind of de- or not everybody, but a lot of kids do. Yeah. I went to, uh, I lived in Colorado, and I knew that academia was going to be difficult for me. Mm. And so. Unless you went to Oak Park. <laughs> just show yeah. up at Oak Park. If it was, <laughs> if I could just mess around, you know, I knew that'd be fine. But if I had, had to take it seriously, <laughs> it startled me. So I was like, well, I don't know that college is the thing. I know my parents, they know me well enough. They're not going to invest a bunch of money and time into me going to a four-year, you know, going to MUKU, whatever, CMSU. Like Maple Woods, maybe. Maybe they would uh, go out on a limb and, and buy the books for that as long as I stayed working. So I just decided I'd go to Colorado. And I moved to Colorado for uh, a couple of years, and, and mm. I spent uh, – enough time up there I thought you know what one of these days I'm gonna fall asleep in my old Bronco and uh, die from the cold so I'm like I'm gonna move somewhere warm so I moved to New Orleans uh, almost directly and I did enroll at a community college down there and uh, became a street musician Mm. so I played in the streets with like homeless people like bourbon or or on bourbon street yeah yeah Yeah. exactly I, I did we set up on bourbon street and played I, I say awesome. we, we had lots of different musicians. I had saxophone players and all these characters learned so much about life in those three years living in New Orleans. And I came home after that, I don't know, 2001, 2002, bought my first home. All the while, I kind of kept tabs on my folks' business. You know, I was so tight into that from. Did you help with up. that growing up? Like yeah. You, you kind of knew. What is the bit? What is the business? It's a. It's a the chemical business, Eaton Chemical. Okay. That's the name. It was uh, it was my mother and father's business that they started in 81. And, wow. you know, it, it was a part of our life all the way through. So it wasn't my first job. They they made it a point that I had to go work for someone else to decide that it wasn't just dad that was a jerk. You know, the rest, <laughs> of, the rest of the world is even worse. It's going to be hard on you. <laughs> and, uh, and I learned a lot from, from, from that, too. But I always worked down there. You know, we did a lot of the filling projects and stuff and uh, I started selling and and somewhere around this this time I also had some interest in, in selling and helping them sell chemicals and helping I knew that was really the kind of the driving force behind yeah. it all you yeah. know like, yeah you could go out there and fill drums and you could drive trucks and this and that which I was doing te- through my teenage years and early 20s but the driving force was sales and that's what they were lacking and that's where I mm. thought I could I could stride mm. strive so um, I wound up coming back building a or buying the first house and working for them until I started to get stir crazy again, and I worked it out where I rented my house out and moved to Nashville. Huh? When is this? Oh four ish? Oh five ish? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So okay. 04, I think I'd probably had my house two years. I didn't know that. And no idea. I'd work for the family business again, and really everything we we're doing well. It wasn't. It wasn't like I was like. I have to leave. Or I have to leave yeah. or anything. It was just, yeah, I just wanted to try to do something. And Nashville definitely is a melting pot of country music, you know. And mm-hmm. I, At that point, I'd kind of moved from, my mom was kind of like an old hippie. I don't want to say an old hippie, but she loved all the 70s rock stuff, yeah. you know. And my dad liked Waylon Jennings and, and Willie and Merle and all these different things, Johnny Cash. So I just liked it all, you know. Huh. I mean. What did you play in New Orleans? Knows. I was kind of like their country guy. 
okay. know, naturally, even in Colorado, they even I, mean, I didn't see myself as that. I thought, you know, I like Jerry Garcia and the Dead and yeah. Fish and you know whatever three eleven, but really, what I knew, my core was would take me all the way back to, you know, basically listening to my folks' old records in the Man, basement yeah. when I was little, and playing music with my little brother. So, yeah, they just they called me the like country jam or, or what, you know whatever yeah. the hell. <laughs> That's and, so good. And Nashville just naturally was the place that I wanted to go. Mm. Maybe it should have gone to Austin or or somewhere, but it seemed too weird to me. And I just loved the uh, the way that, that Nashville just clicked. You know, uh, people st- put time in there, and then they were getting sent out into the world and, and coming out with record deals and different things. And I thought, well. Maybe that's my my place to go. So I was there for for years also, and played every single you know, every club on Lower Broadway at the time. How was that? For years every how night was, of the week. How was Nashville? Like Nashville in, was in fun. terms of your kind of professional, like did it scratch the itch that you had? Yeah, it it really did. Yeah, I think it fulfilled it, and huh. uh, I learned probably the most about music while living there because I played more than, than I played anywhere else. Even in New Orleans, it was just like to drunken fraternity brothers to walking down uh, Bourbon Street wanting to hear Freebird, you know. <laughs> well, you can do that. You can, I, I, can, I can do the same. I learned, you know, I, my, my portfolio was limited back then, so it was like, well, hell, I can do the same 10 songs every, every 15 minutes. It was a whole new crowd. Whole, yeah, I was like, this is the best gig ever. I can just learn Keep Sweet Home Alabama and just do it over and over again and make hundreds of dollars a night. And, and, and Call it good. Drink for free with homeless people. <laughs> Although my folks were like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> That's fine. I got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm just learning. This is my way to learn, you know. And I learned a lot about who I didn't want to be. You know, I was hanging out with a lot of people that were not desirable to be to be around. And uh, lots of trouble and lots of influences that, that I didn't want to, to be around for very long. And, you know, it's just like... I think I had to just be exposed to it all. And I, it's, I have to learn everything the hard way, it seems like. Mm. I was one of those people, too. I needed to experience it for myself to decide what I wanted to be. And yeah. I think that I don't know that that's necessarily right or wrong, but it's yeah. just kind of part of life. Sure. Here you are. I agree. We were, we were a lot alike, you know, yeah. growing up. Yep. <laughs> just experimenting and trying to figure it all out. So when you'd go to Colorado, New Orleans, Nashville, you didn't have anyone you played with how do you find these people they just they find you you get matched that's probably the stupidest question no it's not (laughs) i mean i picked up a hitchhiker in denver and made him my roommate you know Uh, (laughs) so i just made friends with anybody that i could i just enjoy people even people that i don't really like i still want to understand what makes them click you know especially when i was young now i don't hardly have time for all that but uh I also went back to kind of my old stomping ground and tried to find some old jams and, mm. and went to those and talked to people. And we got kind of a little group together out in Colorado and played around for the short stint that I was there. In New Orleans, I played more with a, another band. And then I don't know if you remember, you know, our, I had a little band when I was about 14, 15 with my guitar instructor and then a neighbor. And the name of the band was... Little Jimmy and the Windbreakers. No way. <laughs> the Windbreakers. The Windbreakers. And <laughs> it was great. like a laughing stock. Like of the members bar only yeah. Windbreakers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we, we left that up to the discretion of the audience. You got, know. It, got it. You know, we're talking about jackets if we're at church and if we're in the bar. It's like, oh, that's hilarious. But 
uh, <laughs> you know, we we just we had a lot of fun with it. Played a lot of music, seen a lot of sunshine, shook a lot of hands. You know. So tell us how did how did you and Frank become where you are now? How how did how did he become part of your your band? How did <laughs> and, how did and, that all come about? Yeah, and what is the birth story of the band? Yeah. Like you like. Came back from Nashville, moved back home. Actually, we'd started the band before Nashville. Okay. Um, it had happened somewhere when I bought that house and moved back here in 02 or something around that. And I was kind of going through some times where it seemed like every time I turned around, I was in jail for misdemeanor stuff. But, you know, drinking and driving or, or this and that, you know, stealing parking meters, whatever it was. And... Stealing parking meters. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we, we were at this jam at the at the Grand Emporium. I don't know if you remember the yeah, oh yeah, the Grand Emporium. But they had a killer jam on Monday nights called Duos and Trios Nights, and I basically met the, the most of the band, kind of the founding guys down there. We all found each other and started. Oh, and then, then they all referred to me. There was like three different gyms. There's little gym, there's Jimmy, and there's Jim, and then there's me. And they're like, well, that's outlaw Jim because you know he's on he's in trouble right now. <laughs> so. That just stuck. The fiddle player from the Wilders, the, the band called the Wilders, yeah. Betsy Ellis. She was also our fiddle player, but they took off and made a bunch of money, and we stayed local. But uh, and she left us subsequently. But <laughs> she she kind of tagged it. She tagged Outlaw Jim and the Whiskey Benders, and it stuck. <clears throat> it stuck. And then Frank would he joined the band. I think I couldn't find a. Some of these musicians were uh, difficult to conform to get to. Con- Form and so I was spending a lot of time chasing people around, trying to wake them up and get them to shows. And Frank's like, "I know all your music. I know it all. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out of school right now. He's on break for the summer from college. I could, I could probably help you sing and play." I'm like, "Why have I not thought of that before? Huh? Why don't you come tonight?" And then that was like, "Oh man, galvanized." So he was just a fill-in, and then you realized, "Wow, this is kind of." Hmm. I don't, I don't think we realized at that point in time that he was going to be a permanent fixture. I don't think he did either. He had high hopes. He didn't realize I was going to drag him down. <laughs> but I think that he would tell you that he had a whole lot of fun too. Yeah, I mean, he, we. It, that, I was amazed. Luckily, he's such a good scholar that uh, he he made it through college with flying colors because I was definitely taking him out of school and and he was to come perform. To sleep, yeah, yeah. As he was going to Nashville with us and playing. We're playing every night of the week, and I'm cabbaging on to him every time that I could. Man. Every time I could, he's like, "Well, I got to study. I got this big, you know, test or whatnot." And so, okay, well, when that's over, what's your plan? You know, can I have you for a couple of days? Okay, grab Dad's plane because Frank's. I was going to say he's a pilot, right? Yeah, so he's yeah. a pilot. You know, so we'd hop. He'd, he'd take the plane. We'd hop in. I also picked up a show in Georgia. <laughs> off these people that tipped us a hundred bucks last night. They wanted us to pay at the, play at their daughter's wedding in South Georgia. You know. I think, I think so we, we have can to find make a stop an airstrip there. down there close. <laughs> so we put my old bird dog Merle in the plane and a bottle of bourbon and some guitars and run down there and rent equipment and see if I could find a drummer in every local town. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Yeah. It was fun. That's amazing. Yeah. But it, it, and this is coming into people's earlobes, so they can't, <laughs> they can't see. But, but I think it's worth noting, like, Outlaw Jim is an imposing fella. Big, tall, strong looks the part, right? You think Outlaw Jim, you're like, yeah, that's him. Yeah, Frank, on the other hand, not the same, right? Physically. And and 
it, I'm it's, fat and he's skinny. No, 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 yeah. not even that, yeah. man. Like, yeah. not no. But he, it's it's. So you're saying I'm nice and he's mean? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I'm scared. Um, but what I am saying is, and, and we've only seen you once. So that a, that needs mean. to change. But I, he, I've seen him more than you have. But okay, cool. Yeah. But but like, is prodigy the wrong word for him? Like he he just kind of exudes this like, yeah. The dude's not normal. Like you shouldn't be able to do that kind of stuff on a piano. And to know he's a pilot and he's like wicked smart, like he's he's an he's an enigma, yeah. and I think it's a it's a fascinating. But he, uh, know, I know there's other guys in the band, but like that the he the, is he just keeps learning learning, you know. He's an incredible inspiration in a lot of ways because you think you're getting older and you're just like, oh, my tricks are done, you know. I'm washed you know, up. A, a child that's grown old here, and he just keeps learning. And, he learns, and it's, it's just the same thing with the keyboard. He just kept improving. He's still improving. The other night, I was watching him double hit the keys on his keyboard, and it was giving me chills. Like, Gah! I just have to scream, and I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> just add. But you know, I, he he does it, and then the same thing with the with the pilot. You know, the the he he had that license young, right? Like I said in the beginning, there's a lot to go over here. Yeah. But he was flying. He was like one of the youngest pilots to fly across this country he was like 11 and flew and got the approval from the faa even though he legally couldn't have his pilot's license he had enough, had enough hours and stuff he flew across and uh, my my, uh, my dad followed him in either another plane or our plane i don't know how it went down and then frank had like an oil pressure problem where the oil pump went down he's like 11 or 12 years old has to ditch the plane in south florida they're going to grand cayman island and uh, he's by himself He's just got, yeah. Well, no, he had, he had, he had an instructor. Okay. The deal was he had to fly it start to finish to get the hours. So he had a backup plan. I think he had his instructor in there. But Man. regardless, the FAA says, yeah, it's fine, and it'll count, I think, towards hours or something. Because by the time he was 17, when you can legally get your pilot's license, he knocked out several of them endorsements. And then by the time you can get your instructor, he already had the hours and the time doing it, and he nailed that by the time he was, like, 17. And he's just, like, He's that way. So now he's just decided, you know, this this outlaw country bit has done got out of hand, and I need to make a living for my five, four children. So he said, well, I'm just going to go uh, be an airline pilot. Well, heck, I wish that I could go do that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. So, he went, so now, he's a, now he's a captain for uh, uh, the, the subcontractor for Delta. I can't remember what they're called. Sky West, but he wears a Delta uniform. Wow. So... That's yeah. insane, dude. And now the $150 a night playing honky-tonk music doesn't seem <laughs> to entice him at all. <laughs> like, fly, you know, hey, you know, hey, man. I'll give you my portion. <laughs> Would you come play? Oh, that's fun. Tell us um, a little bit about your creative process. You write your music. Most of it? Yeah. Yeah. So how, uh, how does well, that work? Does it just I mean, come I naturally? I play lots of other people's stuff, too, and usually I have kind of my own flavor to it. Yeah. Uh, I'd say it comes naturally, but writing is not something you can really push. I, I can tell you that when I was, uh, let's say, broke and unhappy, single, mm. you know, let's say lonely, you know, mm. I could write. Man, I could write happy, sad, medium-paced waltzes, whatever it was. It wasn't an issue. Now that I've got kids and I'm, you know, happy, yeah. heck, I can't hardly write. Yeah. For one thing, if I, as soon as I pick my guitar up, i got little kids slapping at it and Want Let me, me play, get, Dad. Yeah. Getting the lap, <laughs> getting my lap and stuff. So, life has changed quite a bit. But uh, I guess to answer your question, Brooke, it used to come really easily, and I used to uh, think about 
the, the, the transitions that I was having trouble working out. And sometimes it would happen if I was asleep. You know, I used to say I could write in my sleep, and I could. I could come up with the phrases I was missing. While you were sleeping. Laying there asleep. Mm-hmm. I'd just wake up and come up with it. And think, oh, I need to write that down. But I have to say that uh, none of it, or most of it, would not be possible without Nate Rill. And you remember, mm-hmm. you remember yeah. Nate? You guys yeah. went to school with Nate. Yeah. yeah. Nate has always been um, like a poet, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the... I don't think I knew that about him. Jerry Garcia had a partner that he wrote, you know, and wrote with, and he was the, it was the same kind of thing. This guy was like the lyricist, you know. He just wrote all his lyrics, and Jerry kind of just morphed these songs out of them. And sometimes he just put on the back burner or he didn't use it at all. Uh, we do sim- – Nate, especially when he was working on the assembly line, he'd just knock out poem – I mean, just Bibles full of this stuff. And it's more than you could digest – but I always like, man, I'm looking for this, or I've got this idea. And I tell them, like, I got this hook, you know, like, it, you know, the, 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 the twist is it pulled me out of the gutter and threw me in the circus, you know, or something. And he's <laughs> like, okay, let me work on that. And then after, you know, he'd, he'd tell me, and I'd, I'd come up with usually the progression of the music. And so most of our original songs for the, the, the small portion of albums that we have, which is only three, he was the co writer on. Wow. I didn't know that. I yeah, know. I didn't either. Yeah. Yeah, he actually has a, a good creative side too. He, he he does some beautiful artwork too. That's awesome. What? A, yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah. And man, I, I printed these out because I, I there's probably a thousand other lyrics, but I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to the writing process. Like, I'm a writer. I love and, and I'm a I'm a hack. But 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 I think you have to own the fact that like I'm a writer and I own, I've I've embraced that role. Right? I'm not the best writer. There's plenty plenty more. Sure, um, but qualified you can folks, but express yourself better through yep. writing a lot of times than you can face to face with someone. Yeah, are you saying I didn't ask my question well? No, I was just <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but but what's what we do this often in our home? I'm like, oh my gosh, Brooke, like rewind or hit pl- hit pause. Like that lyric was mind blowing, and and it's it's fascinating to me when people can string together words that um, evoke this like true emotional connection with whatever the experience was and so it's interesting as I was kind of prepping for our interview and not knowing you as well as Brooke does um, listening to your lyrics and to, to see these kind of themes and this this kind of drumbeat around man like and, and it sounds like it resonates with a lot of that stuff probably came from your unhappy lonely hard times right some of these lyrics like here's some I was born an outlaw raised on blood and alcohol and I could never stand to walk your line. Hell no. I'm a rebel outcast running from my own past. And I don't have tomorrow on my mind. And like, even reading that, I'm like, holy shit, pardon the language. Like, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and that's that. Those and you can tell that you can feel the emotion behind yeah. it. Yeah. And, and those five lines don't come from a dude sitting in a cube with like no. At a think tank in, yeah. in Nashville. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, help me articulate yeah. what I'm trying to say. Because I think that. That kind of meaningful substance of from pain, from brokenness, from hard things comes like really beautiful, meaningful stuff. Yeah. That connects to other people. I agree. And that, you know, Nate wrote a poem that was very similar to that. Mm-hmm. And we've been toting it around. That, this, that song is old, like uh, 20 years old, maybe, maybe not quite 20, but somewhere right around there. Wow. And I remember sitting in his. Um, apartment, Nate Rule and Bill Arrington 
and you know they're having some party. Oh, actually, no, they got me out of jail in Platte City. Nate bailed me out, and the bailiff or whoever it was, the the, the deputy that got me out. Nate's like, hey, um, could you take a picture with him? Because I, mean, I, I look like for memory's sake, warmed over hell. I was not in the mood. I was sobering up and I've been in the jail for like five hours or something, six hours. So Nate gets me out. And then he's like telling this guy, and he's got this, he went and bought a camera to take the picture. And it was like one of those. Oh, yeah. Like they don't make them anymore. The trash the cameras, one, right? The yeah. one that you wind up. But it was it was the one that projects out the picture like right oh, there. Oh, a Polaroid. Like one of those old-fashioned yeah. Polaroids. He takes this picture of me and this deputy. And the deputy's like smiling. He's like just got on shift. He's like smiling. <laughs> and I'm worn out. And uh, so Nate kept that picture and mailed it to me years later. But anyways, we went back to his apartment and sat there, had some, some beers, and, and we, we went, wrote that song. I mean, like in 10 minutes. But it was a poem that Nate had, had we'd been tinkering with. And I was like, I've got this turnaround. I've got a beat that I want to put it to. I think we can do it. You know, that's probably more him than even mm. me uh, in that case. It's awesome. You know? So fascinating. Yeah. But he, but he can he – can, write a poem about something and really put some thought into fr- how to phrase it. And I think a lot of the songs that he's done, he, he writes them for m- me to sing, you know, like this is Jim's attitude. This is the way he feels about this. Wow. And Almost ghostwriting it yeah, I mean, on your behalf. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. It's a gift, man. Yeah. It's a gift. Yeah. He, he, and then we just kind of work it out and, and cut and paste and tinker with it and play it live and train wreck it a couple times and be like, well, I don't think that was the right ending. <laughs> Okay, so you've already mentioned the um, getting bailed out of jail and your picture with the deputy, but what are some of the other highlights of your of your musical journey? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that those are highlights, but they might be scars. But uh, we, uh, I mean, I would say playing music anywhere is a fond memory. I've had so much fun playing music through the years, whether it's Snake Saturday in Kansas City in North, in North Town with 10,000 people with green wigs on, drinking green beer, or if it's uh, in New Orleans playing, you know, like on the streets and stuff, we definitely got to play some places in the South and in, in Nashville that were uh, memorable. Do you like the experience of seeing people enjoy your music? Is that what means the most to you, or could you play anywhere to anyone at any time and it's just the playing that really does it for you? I, I do. I love it when, when people are dancing and, and having fun and being happy together. You know, that's that's one thing I tell my kids when, when they're doing the, the daddy don't leave tonight, you know. it's uh, Eddie and I always say, well, Jim's going to make people happy, and it's true, and that's my goal, you know. So if, if, if we start to the point where I don't think that people are being, that we're not making people happy anymore, they're not excited to, to come out and enjoy their, themselves or, or their evening, I don't know that I would do it. So it, it might that might be all of it, but I, I also think there's a release to it. I think playing music is, I, I don't know that I'd be as relaxed a person today if, if I didn't have that release. I, you know, I, yeah. I feel it's sorry therapeutic. for yeah. It it's is, a, yeah. yeah, it's therapeutic. Yeah. Man, I, I do have that release, and a lot of people probably would envy that because I can go out and blow off some steam with the boys and knock out a couple hours of playing music, and then it's like the most relaxing time of my day is driving home in my band in our band van I don't listen to music hardly anymore at all on the radio either. Really? I, I do sometimes, especially when I'm trying to feel one way or the other. But <clears throat> most of the time I just want to collect and be like, 
Okay. What happened? What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just, that makes sense. And, and it just feel like the day is complete, you know, right. after, a, after a good show. Usually I'll work a long, full day, and then I'll see the kids and do the thing and go play. Go play yeah. for a few hours, and then on the way home it's like, it, this is this. You guys may think this is a stupid question, um, but when you see a guy like, and I know you probably don't love the music, but you see a guy like Kenny Chesney, who's performs on the biggest stages all across the country, all across the world, twenty, thirty, forty times a year, right? Like that. Again, naive question, but does, does that act get old? Like at some point, is he just in it for collecting paychecks? I don't know you can't answer on his behalf, but like that whole the 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 act of uh, the performance itself, like does it ever kind of get to the point where you're looking at it like this? I'm, I'm mailing it. I'm not mailing it in, but I'm like, I'm doing my job. I'm not like in it tonight. Yeah. Are there nights like that? Yeah. I mean, there is sometimes. I'm sure he has those moments too, but I, I could also imagine cashing one of those paychecks is really exciting. <laughs> 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 and if he needs any help with that, I'd come over and join him on the islands at the time. That's good, but no, I mean it. it sometimes it, you got to be pick. You got to pick and choose your 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 work. You know, I mean, you can always you can always work. And you can always find some place to to play, or you can always find some place to swing a hammer. But you got to be with the people you like to be with and, and make it fun, also. And I think that's kind of half of our shtick is we can create. And I learned that playing in the band with the, with the older gentlemen when I was young, they could come up with organic fun out of nothing. Mm. I mean, you know, I remember. Uh, one time the bass player wore, wore this shirt that it was like country button up shirt and it had bulls on it. And uh, the guitar player said, Oh, that's a bull shirt. You know, and, uh, <laughs> that's a bunch of bull shirt. And then the whole rest of the night, you know, it's, you just try to find some things to lighten up the event. And then things just start flowing in and you can just build until, you know, you can kind of join, you can usually draw a whole crowd in on your fun. So, that's really good. If you can't, you probably do need to hang it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, man. So you seem like the type that things find you. Um, <laughs> do, do you what do you mean by that? Especially the law. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a plan as to where you're headed with your music? Is it you just enjoy it while you enjoy it? People enjoy it while they enjoy it? Are you hoping to get to a certain place? Would you like to continue? How? What are your thoughts on that? Where are you headed? I have no idea. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the answer. No, I mean, I, I, we're going to continue to play some music for a long time to come, even if it's just recreational. You know, I guess if that's a way to do it. But uh, I intend to do another album or two, and it's not like I ever had hopes and dreams to try to like become this big star. It's just so much fun, you know. I think that there was kind of that goal at one point in time but it's, it's really not there anymore unless we just got lucky and and even then I think that I would hesitate to give up what I have now you know the businesses and the kids and the time with them so um, I, to answer your question I'm going to play music probably for a long time to come but I, I don't I don't know where it'll take me from here we're still playing in front of new faces on a regular basis you know every summer we're doing county fairs and playing different places of the, of the country that we've never been before. And I intend to do that until the, until we're uh, too fat and old to do it anymore. And then, and then we're no like, longer well, asked to come yeah. back. Then we're going to change the name of the band. And, I don't know. Something but, about windbreaking. But, yeah. We'll go back. I'll find a little kid to play and sing, and I'll start like they did. 
It's great. Uh, man, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated by um, just, uh, I mean, obviously your journey, but I think my guess is, and I don't want to speak for you, but my guess is that your 15 years ago, Jim wouldn't have just said that. Wouldn't have said, man, like, I don't want to trade what I have now. Like, yeah. what, is that, what does that mean, like, today? And, and what is maybe kind of this presence and this, your view of happy is different than it was 15 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever? It's like you have a continued obligation uh, to the community and to yourself and to your family. And so that doesn't just end, you know. And, and I, It's definitely different now. My, my goals are different now. And I I just have a new set of them now. You know, yeah. I, I want to try to be a good father and a good husband. And, and AD and I are going to get married, by the way. Sometime. Oh, you're engaged? Yeah, I know it seems like. Hey, what's the hurry? It's been 10 years. But, uh, well, congrats. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, but, you know, I just want to be uh, a good person and, and, I guess, a part of the community to, you know, someday that you can look back on and say, was the life worth living and, and did you uh, make a difference? You know, did you try? And, and you could say yes. Man. So. Dude. So good. Um. I'm also, maybe this is, again, another dumb question, but like, I'm, I'm curious, and we, we've talked about the music a lot, but, like, the inspiration for your music came from your dad. I mean, and your mom, right? But, like, um, the actual type of music. Like, how did you get into old-school, gritty, original country versus, like, a million other things you could have done? Was it the songwriting? Was it the storytelling? Was it the... Uh, Nate Rules of the World. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, but like you could have played a, a, you could have played jazz, right? Like you could have done yeah, R&B. Yeah, you could have done whatever. Style. It wasn't what I wanted to do at all. Um, it's a good question because it seemed like it just happened. Because as a child, I was just like my like our kids, where they just repulsed by old country stuff, or, or just yeah. like oh, it's twangy and it's this and that. And I felt that way too until we I got out in the real world mm. and realized that. The, the entire Merle Haggard album was about working man blues and trying to put food on the table and get shoes for kids. And, you know, it was like, hey, that was the way I was raised, you know? Like, hang on, that is a part of me. And it's like everybody's saying, you know, you're, you're, you have an accent, you know? And I always hear that everywhere you go. Man, you got like, are you from Texas or something? It's like, no, I'm from Missouri. <laughs> Lake Weatherby, actually. Yeah. West Coast. <laughs> West Coast, Missouri. Okay. But yeah, we're from Weatherby great. Lake. That's where all the rednecks live. You should come see us. A big trailer park up on stilt. But um, I don't know. It just it just naturally happened and, and I just started to, to pick up and, and love old old school country stuff. It's it's amazing. You you slowly turn into your parents, you know. And there's a saying that when you're sixteen yeah. you're you're you thought your father was an idiot, and by the time you were 21, you were amazed at how much he had learned. Mm. And uh, it's true. You know? yeah. Is there country to, like, what's, my, my direct question is, do you despise the country music today? That, like, people would call country, are you like? Yes. <laughs> oh, hell yes. <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping I, for I, something. Yes. Yeah, no. Come I'm on. Just, it's so disappointed in modern country and modern music. It's just crap probably don't want to get me off on that tangent oh, i'd love to actually because because i think i i think i share you would run uh, circles around me but it's everything it's not even just country country is just 
ridiculously worth plastic bubblegum pop throwaway trash but <laughs> so is modern rock like i listen to johnny dare in the morning sometimes too you know he's like coming kind of old friend of ours and it's like you know what modern rock sucks and you know what modern rap sucks you know like i mean it, and it, then it's like, didn't our parents say that too? Probably. Like you're the nineties stone devil pilots and Nirvana. They didn't, you know, they didn't approve of that. And then nowadays I watch kids. They're all playing that stuff again. Like it's kind of come around. Yeah. And so has the mullet. So I don't know, what, <laughs> but <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> hell, what do I know? Does, does modern country suck to me? Yes. But you know what? Is, I guess is, someday we're going to look back on it and kids are going to say it's classic. Is there a guy though? Like, and again, you tell me if I'm an idiot, like a Chris Stapleton or a John Moreland or somebody that's got a little bit more kind of gritty in them. Are they still plasticky too? Or do, no. do you look at that and you're like, dude, that's, that's the exception in the like plastic yeah, bubble in the, in the norm. Yeah. They definitely are the exception. And he played with the band steel drivers and Stapleton's phenomenal. Yeah. I, I, there definitely is. There's these exceptions everywhere all the time, you know, and there were in the nineties and, all the way back to the beginning. Um, so, yes, I, and I, I I think Stapleton is one. I, I love, like, Dale Watson. I don't know if you know who that is, but oh, he's, a, he's a Texas Writing guy. it down, though. <laughs> Dale is funny. He's got really good. He, he reminds me of Merle Haggard. and He, he, he picks like like Merle and plays and sings. But um, I, I'm sure I'm sure I can come a whole list of people, but yeah. I can't think of anything right now. There's, there's a bunch of them that get my fancy nowadays. Yeah, you know? that's great. But not very many on on ma- major broadcast right. FM radio. Right. Truthfully, Jim, at what point in your music career were you like, you know what? I think we're onto something here. People really resonate with what we're singing. People come out to see us. Did, was there ever like a point that you could say this was it, where I realized we're making a difference? <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Uh, I don't know what that point would have been. I knew that we were doing something. Even back when, you know, Tom Fooleries and some of those places were, were huh. uh, I mean, you, we could fill a we, We've always been lucky enough, and I, I have a different approach probably than most people, but uh, we can always fill a room. You know, we've, we've always been able to, to, to turn registers and, and make the numbers work for the, the, the reason that we stay busy. You know, the bar makes money and everybody – Everybody makes money. Everybody's happy. Everybody goes home happy. So I started seeing that um, somewhere probably when I was about 20, 21. You've always been a very approachable, personable person. What do you feel like part of who you are, just your personality, draws people to want to come hear your music as well? Yeah, I think that's part of that approach that I was mentioning is I never met a stranger. My kids are that huh. way too. It scares me to death. <laughs> uh, hey, stranger, you got any candy? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was I was was a people person, you know, and I knew that I'm a type of person that I know my limitations, and I, so I, I definitely try to st- stride where I, where I stride, you know, and stay strong. And, and so people skills, in a lot of ways, was was my uh, my strength, you know. Just and, and being trying to be a good friend, I think mm-hmm. I learned that from my folks. You know, our our, our parents were lively, a lively bunch. Mm-hmm. The, the dude, Christine, her par- her parents hang out. Christine in, oh, Frank Gardner's oh, of the oh, world man. are. Oh, dude, I don't I don't know how <laughs> their I, social calendar is. Our parents party harder than we do <laughs> yeah. now. Oh, 100 percent. I'm like, dude, you guys went to four live shows this week. 
Yeah. Like That's seven awesome. days. Yeah, it's can't, amazing. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you guys in 18 years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Man, um, I, I could ask you a thousand questions because I'm fascinated. But I, I think you have a cool perspective that, uh, you know, you own companies now and the, yeah. the business th- thing is, is a real part of your world. Like, how do you, how, and maybe there's not some magic answer, but like, how do you juggle it all, man? And, and maybe more specifically, like, when you lay your head on the pillow, like, how do you view success? Like, how do you determine, like, man, it's a good day, successful day? If everybody's happy and you got enough money in the pot to, to survive the day, I'd say it's a good day. You know, um, juggling it, I guess, could be difficult if you if you want to sit around and bitch about it, but you pretty much made that bed, you may as well lay in it. And one foot in front of the other, man. You know, the we own Frank and I, and I pretty much operate all of them because Frank now is a pilot. Um, but we own the Frank or the well, let's backtrack. We own Eaton Chemical. We own the Diversified Chemical Company, and we own Abner Hood. And uh, and there, it's a full time full time gig. And Adie and I own the restaurant, you know, and that's really her full time gig. We have live music there, and we try to do all the fun things that we love. Up there, from shrimp po' boys to whatever you know. Yeah. I, I'm well, New Orleans coming in, yep, yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, yep. we like all that stuff. And eighty had oysters last uh, Thursday or Friday night. You know, awesome, raw oysters on the half shell, which you wouldn't think you're going to get that in Parkville, Missouri, on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> but it's just like that's what we wanted to do. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of the way her and I uh, live our lives. It's just you know what that's what we're going to do. And that's what I want to do right now, and I think it's going to work. And as long as nobody gets hurt. There's no collateral damage, <laughs> you know. I don't see any, any problem taking some calculated risks on a regular basis. Yeah, man. And and, you know? and and to me, it's like, if it doesn't cause you a little bit of anxiety and like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. why are we doing it? If it's safe and easy and plastic, like, no yeah, thanks. not nearly as much fun. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. And then the fun is that much greater when you get to the end and have had a, a, a kind of a risky, risky <laughs> situation and you made it on the other side of it, whatever that is. It's a gig. If it's playing music, if it's raising kids, if it's, if you know, it's a, a vacation gone bad, or you know, you could only imagine. But it's so much more fun when you come out of it and you and it's self created. You know, it's yeah. like organic. It's nothing better than feeling like you made it through it on your own. You know, you survived your own decisions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, put that on a t shirt. I know. You survived like, your own decisions. That, it's like that. I survived my own decision making. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, it's barely. Yeah, barely. Or so far. Yeah, to this point. On the back, it's going to say so far, T-shirt. I like it. like it. Sell it on outlawgymandthewhiskeybenders.com, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I know we're probably getting close on, on time here. Brooke's giving me the eye. Brooke's like, I got to go yeah. get kids. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But I'm, I am fascinated, too, to hear, like, as you bring up these other five, right, these five kiddos, like yeah. we've, we've had this debate a lot at home, not debate this conversation is how do you kind of encourage creativity and also like this, um, how, how much do you tell them about your own story? <laughs> because we both have stories and it's like, man, we're getting to the age where kids are doing stuff and asking stuff. And we're going, man, we're going to err on the side of honesty. It's kind of where we've landed, but like, well, depends uh, on depends on their age too, but sure, yeah, of course, yeah. But I'm just curious, like, how do you foster creativity and people that 
can produce good content, whatever that looks like, piano or flying planes. Or, or successful in whatever yeah. they choose yeah. to go do with their lives. Yeah. So you guys tell them the truth, huh? It <laughs> depends on the question and the age. but <laughs> You're making me nervous. <laughs> well, luckily my kids haven't asked too many questions. But uh, I, and I intend to do the same thing. And it's pretty hard to deny much, especially when it's all in a songbook. You know, I was right say, read like, the yeah, lyrics. Yeah, you want to know about it? This is what happened. And Uncle Jesse, yeah, he got pulled over and he had a bunch of rifles in his truck, and <laughs> I didn't like that very much. It's like, well, we wrote a song about it. If you want to really hear about it, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, you, you really got to just embrace it and say, yeah, this is what it was. It was the wrong decision, and I can explain why. Mm. And my old man always said, "Man, you're gonna—you don't have to make all of my mistakes again." But I did; mm. I, I pretty much did. Mm. Nowadays, I'm saying exactly what he's talking about. But mm. you know, you can at least try to tell him, "Okay, yes, I did this, and it was a mistake, and it was a huge mistake, and this is why. Yeah. This is what happens. This is the damage that it created, you know. And I would never do it again. And if I could get to that situation again, I would do it this way or this way, you know." Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just kind of the way I do everything. Yeah. So that's the way I, I guide my salesmen and stuff to the workforce. It's like, well, if they say this, a lot of times you have this other avenue, and sometimes yeah. you just got to walk away. But yeah, tell them you'll be back in a month to see them. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. <clears throat> uh, okay. Well, Brooke usually asks this question, but we'll we'll wrap up here in a second. Um, sure. If you were going to write a letter to eighteen-year-old Jim Eaton, what would that look like? What would it say? It'd probably be a song. <laughs> Maybe you've already done this. Actually. Some lyrics. I just say, listen to this. <laughs> Hit play, bro. play. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, I didn't read through your questionnaire oh, no, earlier, so I don't have this prepared. But I'd probably, um, I'd probably tell myself some some way or shape or form to uh, take it easy. Mm. <laughs> take mm. it easy on yourself. Because a lot of that risky stuff was deadly, mm. and uh, you're just damn lucky you made it through it. Mm. You know, mm. the rest of it, I'd just say, go have fun because you're gonna have a blast, and, and I hope that you <laughs> remember it all. That's great. That is great. That's great. <laughs> I love it. All right, wrap us up here, B. All right. Well, we end our time with what we call the speed story closing. We'll just ask you five questions. It's just a quick answer. Whatever comes to your head okay. first. I'll try um, to make it quick. Oh, you're good. No, we got all the time in the world. The uh, first question is, what's the last book you read? Uh, I read The Undaunted Courage of Lewis and Clark's Expedition. Whoa. Actually, that wasn't the last book. I read Jesse Coulter's autobiography. Sorry. That was the most recent. Wow. Before that was Undaunted Courage. That sounds awesome. Killer book. Anyways. Um, if you weren't afraid, what would you do right now? I think we all have fear of some sort. So is there anything that you're like, man, if I wasn't afraid of this, I'd go do that? Jump out of an airplane. That Frank's flying? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd do it. It's just they keep telling me that the weight limit on those parachutes is 250 <laughs> and I'm 270. I'm like, so what happens if you're over the weight limit? <laughs> like, we don't know. <laughs> That's not expensive. That's the first thing to come to mind. <laughs> That's great. All right. What is one thing if people knew mm. about you, they'd think you were crazy or weird? Um, probably think that I was crazy. It, well, they'd probably think I was weird just because I love kids so much, but I don't huh. know. I'm, I'm sure there's some other answer for you, but that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. I do. I, I honestly like Pat Benson. You remember Pat Patrick? Yeah, yeah. You guys should interview him on this 
he, he has so much to tell also about his life. You know his story? No. We'll have to talk no. about it some other time. I mean, since, I don't know, I haven't heard anything since high school. Oh, Hanging no. out at his house. He's, he's you know, ex-military, but he, he wow. uh, is the founder of the War Horses for Veterans program. Huh. And he's helped a lot of vets. Awesome. And I mean a lot. And he gets them acclimated into society, and then he takes them and uh, finds them work. Oh. Uh, if they pass the test. He, he You guys got to read his story. Look up warhorsesforveterans.com. Uh, but anyways, he he brought his kids over Sunday, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I got to go down to the Warhorses barn in Stillwell, Kansas. Do you mind having your boys and all, both of my boys over?" It's like, "No, not at all. You know, I just love the chance to spend time with kids. Um, I don't know why exactly. I think that they need some good guidance, you know. And I think all of our kids need to spend some time with adults that uh, have a level head, and uh, and just have some fun with them and create create kind of fun like we talked about." Whether it's build, picking up sticks in the yard and riding dirt bikes or all the stuff that we kind of yep. grew up doing, yeah, I just love it. So I, th- I think people would say, "Outlaw Jim," he's more like an in-law Jim. <laughs> <laughs> in-law Jim and the windbreakers. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man, um, water borders. Yeah, that's right, um, <laughs> dude. What's your favorite place on earth? Um. I don't know. It just depends on the, the season, I think. But I love New Orleans. I really do. Huh. I think AD and I are going to try to get married down there. Um, but I would also love – man, I, I love Missouri. I love yeah. – I'm from Platte County, so I always say Platte County. But I just love Kansas City. I do. And I love the mountains, and I love it all. I love yeah. Montana, and I love when I'm playing up, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming and stuff. But there ain't no place like home, you know. All right, last question. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, I don't know, Brooke. <laughs> I want to be remembered as a good guy, I guess, and a good father. Awesome. Maybe a good musician. <laughs> I don't know that I have that option, though. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Your priorities and, are good. And on that note. This <laughs> he had a hell yeah. of a good band. Yeah. <laughs> 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 on that note, this will be a Guild Stories first. Um, we did have Mikey Wheeler's song that he wrote that we played as an outro, but we're actually going to get, if you're still cool with it, um, Jim's going to send us out with like an actual song that, that, uh, he's going to play for us right here in the studio. So before we do that, man, like super grateful, sure. I could have done this for another day and a half and just hear your stories, dude. Yeah. Um, but where can Me people, too. where can people follow along? Where can they find out about where you're playing? Uh, the music thing. It's just uh, outlawgym.com or any of the Facebook pages, Outlaw Jim and the Whiskey Benders. Are probably the best place for it. I don't really do all the Twitter and all that stuff <laughs> yet. Uh, but definitely follow us online, and, and our schedules are, are out there. And I have no idea where I'm playing from, from one night to the next, but there's always another gig down the trail somewhere. That's great. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks a, a ton, man. And here we go. We're going sure. uh, to hear a song. Thanks, Jim. You're welcome. Good to see you guys.